If you remain standing for the reading of God's Word as we continue on in our Advent series, you'll see the scripture reading on page five. And as we read, let me just say a, a quick word at the beginning. I'm recovering from a cold this week, so we we're praying my voice holds up, but want to apologize on the front end if uh, you see a, a little sniffling or my voice is a little weaker than normal. I appreciate you bearing with me in this. John chapter one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And from Hebrews chapter 1, long ago and in many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. In seminary, I had the joy and challenge of having to memorize the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Being new to Presbyterianism, that was something new to me, and so I had to start from scratch. And there was a question and answer that always tripped me up. It was that question and answer number nine, what is the work of creation? And it says, the answer is, the work of creation is God's making all things out of nothing. By the word of his power, in the space of six days, and all very good. And I said it tripped me up because I always wanted to say God made all things by the power of his word instead of the word of his power. It just seemed to flow better to me to say power of his word than word of his power. But it finally hit me after some time that there's something intentional of how it is written and that the world was not made by his power but the world was made by his word, which is powerful. Now that may sound like semantics, but I don't think it is. Think of that. God made all things of nothing by his word. That is the testimony of the beginning pages of scripture, isn't it? That the world was formless and dark, and into that formless and dark void, God spoke. You know how it goes. In the first day, God said, let there be light. And what does it say? And there was light. And so forth, and such on each and every subsequent day. Each day of creation begins with those words, God said, God said, God said, in other words, God spoke. 
And it all came into being. So the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 11 said, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. There is something significant then that God spoke and it all came into existence out of nothing. Now he didn't need to speak, did he? He could have created everything out of nothing without words. But he intentionally used words or used the word to create everything. And I think that is significant, isn't it? It's probably something that we gloss over, but it demonstrates that this world is absolutely and utterly dependent upon his word for its very existence, for its ongoing existence. And that word has power. That word has true power. Oftentimes we might say that men and women have power through their words, perhaps through their rank, or perhaps through their position, that they can speak and get things done, but God alone has true power, out of nothing power. And that is so absolutely critical. Why? Because we need such a word. We need such a revelation, not just for instruction, not just for teaching, yes, for that, but oh, so for so much more. We need the word of his power for new life, for literal, physical life, but also for spiritual life. And that is what Christ provides for us. If you've been with us, last week we started our Advent series that we are calling the Complete Christmas. And we're calling that because what makes Christmas complete is not all the trappings and traditions of Christmas that we so often think that we need to have every year, as wonderful as those may be. What makes Christmas complete is a complete Christ. And that is what we have, a Savior that saves completely and wholly and makes us complete in him by providing everything that we need. And we are seeing this by looking at the offices of Christ, namely that of mediator and prophets and priest and king. Last week we looked at Christ being our mediator. Today we look at Christ being the prophets. And we'll see it in two points. The word from heaven and that complete word. First, the word from heaven. I think I mentioned to you uh, several weeks ago that myself and Pastor Myers and intern Weaver are teaching chapel here, the Covenant Christian School that meets here as part of the ministry of this church. They have chapel every Wednesday, and we are taking those chapels and we are going through the gospel of Mark. And I had a privilege of teaching the children a few weeks ago about Jesus calming the storm. Now you remember that story, don't you? 
that Jesus and the disciples got into the boat and they are crossing the Sea of Galilee and there was a great windstorm that arose and waves began crashing not only onto the boat but into the boat. And Jesus, in the midst of this, was asleep, seemingly unaware of what is going on. And I pointed out to the children on that passage in Mark that Mark says that there were three greats in the storm, in that story. First, there was a great storm, one that was so great that it would sink the boat, so great that they woke Jesus up and even accused him, saying, Jesus, do you not care? We are about to die. And we read that Jesus awoke and he spoke and he rebuked the winds saying, peace, be still. And guess what? It did, instantaneously. So much so that Mark now says that it went from a great storm to a great calm. That it went to glassy waters, a still sea, not even a a breeze anymore. And as a result of that, Mark says that there was another great. There now was a great fear, namely that of the disciples. It says that they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? You might say that seems a a little bit strange, Mark. A great fear? You might understand if it says that there was great thanks or great relief on the behalf of the disciples. Thanks, Jesus, that was a, a close one. Thanks for getting us out of that. No, it says there was great fear because they realized this one is not like us. It was in that moment, if they did not recognize it before, that Jesus was not just of God, he was God. He wasn't just a mere man, but rather that he had power over the creation, power in which that belonged to God alone. That this was not only the man that could calm the winds and the waves, this is the man that created the winds and the waves, and has the power to control them. And he is also the very one that created the disciples themselves. And so, in that boat with them was a great fear, because in that boat with them was their creator. And you might say they rightly feared, Because greater was he that was in the boat than that which threatened them outside of the boat. John says something similar in 1 John 4, doesn't he? That he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. It's that fear of the Lord that is to be greater than any other fear. Why? Because God is greater. Christ is greater. There was a great fear, the fear of the one who spoke. And I think that is the the right place for us to begin as we think of Christ as a 
prophets. We don't just need another one to speak. The Lord knows that the world has too many words and enough people that will speak, even if they know nothing about which they speak of. The world is filled with meaningless words. I heard recently a statistic that there is 5,000 hours of content added to YouTube every minute of the day. In other words, there is words, words, and more words. We need not more words. We need the word. We need the true word. And that is exactly how the Apostle John introduces us to Christ in his gospel. He says, in the beginning... Now, that should sound very familiar to you. You remember, that's how the beginning of the scriptures starts. In the beginning was the Word. You might say, that's a a curious way to, to begin. Why speak of Jesus as the Word? Well, there's much that could be said about that, but suffice it to say that in Christ we have the Word of God the complete revelation of who God is. In other words, our God is not silent. He has made himself known and has made his will known. And there is no greater picture of that than in Jesus Christ, the Word. He is the the spoken Word. I'm sure all of you have done those games, perhaps as children or in youth groups where you play charades. Now, charades might be a a fun game where you're you're trying to communicate, but you're trying to do so without words. Like I said, it's a fun game, but it would be an awful way to live, wouldn't it? Words, language, and communication all are a gift of God. It's part of being made in the image of God. We speak, we have language, we have communication. You can understand what I'm saying, the words that are coming forth from my mouth because God has given us the ability to communicate. Why is that? Because he is the God that communicates. He is the God that speaks. He is the God that is not silent. He is the one that has spoken. He is the one that has spoke all into being. And we would say that even includes his son, that he created the Lord Jesus Christ, not the eternal son of God who existed from all eternity, but he is the one that in the virgin formed together this God-man that we know as the Lord Jesus Christ. Oftentimes, critics of Christianity will scoff at this time of year and say a a virgin conception. Yeah, right. But I ask you, is it so difficult to believe? Is it so difficult to believe that that couldn't happen from a God who spoke everything out of nothing? He is the creator God. He does not depend upon human conception 
does he? Of course not. And so he spoke his son, this God-man, this redeemer, this mediator, this man who is fully God and fully man, two natures and one person, to be that revelation in which we needed. And therefore he is spoken in his son, not just in the words spoken by Christ, but in his totality. Yes, in his words, but in his being, in his actions, the whole of him. You understand that Christ is the image of the invisible God, the one whom we now believe. That is why John can say in John chapter 1, and the word, and he defines what the word was and is, that he is the eternal word, the one that was with God, the one that is God, that that word became flesh and dwelt among us. Literally, it means that, that God tabernacled amongst us in the flesh. And it's this one, this one that spoke and it all came into being, became a part of his creation and came in a form in which he initially, at least, could not speak. He came as a speechless babe. He came as a silent word. And yet, through that coming that we celebrate this time of year, he proclaims something. He proclaims an important message. The message that we cannot save ourselves. As I mentioned last week, we are the problem Therefore, we cannot be the ultimate solution. We cannot save ourselves. And so therefore, God became the solution. God sent the solution in the form of his son. And he sent his son as a helpless child that could not speak. He sent him to a world that could speak, but had no solution, had no answer. A world that is all talk and no action, no saving results. And that, yet this eternal word that could not speak a word speaks the, the very word that we need. That's why I love that phrase in that wonderful Christmas hymn, how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. Namely, that wondrous gift is salvation. That we need salvation. And this wondrous gift is that salvation. He is the, the Savior. He is the one that is called Jesus. Remember, the angels came to Joseph and said, you shall call him Jesus. Why? Because he will save. He will save his people from their sins. Literally, it's in his name, the wonderful gift that we now receive, the gift of salvation, the gift of forgiveness of sins. That's why the shepherds made haste to see Mary and Joseph and the one lying in the manger so they could see this silent word that came to save the world. That's why Simeon, you remember, 
old Simeon, who never left the temple but was told that he would see the Messiah before he was departed, before he died, was able to hold the Christ child in his arms. And do you remember what he says? He says, I can depart in peace. Why? Because my eyes, my literal eyes have seen your salvation. I have seen the Christ. I've seen the Messiah. I've seen the Word incarnate. So you must understand, before we go on to what Jesus actually said as the Word, the greatest Word, the greatest revelation that this world needs is that we are sinners in need of saving. And that salvation, that saving has been provided in Christ. See, God was not, is not silent about that, is he? The law pointed out the problem that we are sinners and have desperately fallen short of the the law, the perfection of God. However, the, the law itself has no solution But in Christ, there is a solution. That's what I believe what John is trying to say, what he's conveying in John chapter 1 when he says that the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Christ Jesus. John was saying that the law was needed, don't get me wrong. And it was given through Moses. But we needed something else. We didn't need just to be pointed out what our problem is. We needed the solution. We needed the answer. And that comes through Christ. That grace and truth, the truth of the good news of the gospel comes through Christ. That Jesus, his person, and in his work, and in his words, is the word of salvation to you and to me. That he is the way and the truth and the life by which we are Save. That is the word. That is the word to us. Not just then, but today. That really is the, the summary of the scriptures, isn't it? Oftentimes people will say, well, this, this Bible has got so much. What am I supposed to believe? What am I, what am I supposed to, 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 to trust concerning it? What is it in it that's important? I'll tell you what's important in it. It's told to us in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. It's the testimony of the apostles. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That is the scriptures in a nutshell. And what a blessed word that is. What a blessed word proclamation to be able to proclaim to all the world that the the gospel, the saving, the salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ is the good news. It is the best news because this is the best news that could possibly be proclaimed and said if we understand it correctly. Oftentimes people will say that that VE Day or VJ Day in World War II is the best day our nation has ever seen. Why? Because war was finally over. This long war, this long tribulation was over in our country. And now there was peace. 
I tell you that every Sunday where the gospel is preached and proclaimed is the very best word and is the very best day. Why? Because it is the proclamation that our hostility, that our war with God is over, that we have peace, that we have reconciliation with God in Christ, that we are made one in his blood, we are brought into the family of God, we are made sons and daughters of him, and we have life evermore. There is no better word than that. And it was all made possible by the word who came down from heaven. And so Christ Jesus is the ultimate prophet because he's not just a word from God like the prophets of old. He is the word of God, the very word that saves our souls. Well, not only that, but he is second in the the complete word. Having been saved by this word, we are now ready to receive the word, to receive the revelation. And you might ask, why, why do we need that? Well, I think the children's catechism puts it best when it asks, why do we need Christ as a prophet? And I love the answer, because I am ignorant. You might say, oh, that sounds a little harsh, isn't it? Ignorant? No, exactly right. We are ignorant in the ways of what is right and what is true and what is wise. Paul tells us what we are in our natural state, in the natural man. He tells us in 2 Corinthians 4 that the, the God of this world has blinded our hearts and our minds, has blinded us from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so in that natural state, yes, we have eyes, but we cannot see. We have ears, but cannot hear. We have minds, but do not think God's thoughts after him. Hearts, but do not love God, nor our neighbor. And so yes, in our natural state, we are ignorant. We are foolish. We are downright stupid. But praise be to God. That is not who we are anymore. God has not left us in our ignorance. First, he has regenerated us. He has renewed us. He has given us eyes that, that were once blinded but now can see, ears that were once blocked but now can hear, minds that were once stiff-necked but now can understand, hearts that once did not believe and were hardened but now can believe. In other words, he has renewed us and made us those new creatures. And now in that new state, he has given us this wisdom. He has given us this revelation. He has not left us in our ignorance. He has not left us as fools. And he allows us to see the world aright. I don't know if you've seen these videos of these individuals that are severely colorblind. And they have now invented these glasses that these people can put on and as a result can see the world as it actually is in, in full color. And, it, and it's a beautiful video. Oftentimes, they, they present this to these individuals and, and they open up this present and they pull out these glasses and they are first confused. And they say, what are these? And, and the family says, just, just put them on. 
put them on. And they put them on. And instantaneously, you can see it in their face as they begin to look around at a world that they have never seen before, seeing it in a totally different way, in all of its beauty, in all of its fullness. And you can see it with with tears streaming down their eyes. They're just saying, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And that is like how it is with regeneration, that we thought we knew the world, but we were only seeing it through a lens, a, a lens that was darkened. And through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, that veil is lifted and we see the world anew. We see it as we ought. We see it from the perspective that God has given it to us. And in a way we say, how did I never see this before? It all is so beautiful. And it truly is in Christ, in Jesus, the word. It all makes sense. It all comes together. We see the full picture in and through him alone. The author of Hebrews, as we read earlier, puts it this way. Long ago, in many times, in many ways, God spoke to our Father by the prophets. That's a a wonderful summary of the Old Testament, isn't it? That God spoke, as the King James Version puts it, in sundry times and in diverse manners. That he spoke to to Adam and to Noah and to Abraham and to Isaac and then Jacob to Moses and David and to the prophets. In many ways, he spoke in many different manners. Sometimes he spoke to them face to face. Sometimes he spoke to them in dreams and in visions and in prophetic words. There was never silence. God always communicated with his people. But he never left them to figure it out on their own. But as great as that Old Testament revelation was, it was incomplete. Or perhaps what I could say is that those were preliminary words. There was something more that was needed. That's why the author of Hebrews says, but in these last days, he's spoken to us in his son. He's spoken to us in the fullness He's spoken to us in in the most full and complete way. He's spoken to us through the Son. As Sinclair Ferguson puts it, all the revelation of God before Christ was like the jigsaw puzzles that were missing the final and most crucial pieces. Or like a novel without the concluding chapters. They were all incomplete by themselves. And that is true, isn't it? If we only had the Old Testament, yes, it's a a wonderful revelation of God, but but we don't have the key that unlocks the door, do we? If you think of the promise that was given to Abraham, that through your seed all the families of the earth would be blessed, if you only had the Old Testament, you would be wondering, well, who is this seed? Who is this one in which the entire earth is blessed? Same thing with a promise given to By Moses, when Moses says that there will be a prophet like me, that will be raised up, and in fact will be greater than me. You might think, who in the Old Testament was greater than Moses? And I tell you that you would have a hard time saying who that would be. 
Or David, when it says that the, the line of Jesse will rule forever. If you only had the Old Testament, you would have to say, that is a failed promise. One that God has not fulfilled. Without Christ, it would be incomplete. It wouldn't make sense. But now in Christ, it all makes sense, doesn't it? Because now in Christ, all of those promises, as the New Testament puts it, are yes and amen. They are perfect. They are complete. You can't add to it. You can't take away it from it, nor should you. Just like you wouldn't want to add or take away from the, the Mona Lisa or the Statue of David or, or any masterpiece to add to it or, or to take away would do damage to it. So too, we don't want to, to add to the word of Christ or take away from the word of Christ. That's why it says in the catechism question that we confessed earlier that all things have been given through Christ for our edification and for our salvation. What does that mean? Well, it means that we have everything that we need for faith and practice. I mean, we still have to study geometry and geography and literature. Sorry, children, you, you still need to study those things, even if you're a Christian. But everything that we need for faith and practice has been given to us in Christ. We need no other word. We need no fresh word. We need no new word. We need no new revelation from God. We need God's word spoken in and through his son. Because it says in Hebrews, he has spoken in these last days to us by his son. The implication is that he has spoken to us by the prophets. He spoke to us in the prophets, but now he's spoken to us in the prophets. And that in speaking through his son, he has spoken in the most complete way necessary. That there's nothing missing. He has not forgotten anything. He doesn't need to add to it. He doesn't need to say, oh yeah, oh, by the way, this also is what you need to know. No, he's given to us in his word. You can understand what a slight that would be to the Father. If we said to him, well, yeah, Jesus was good, but we need a little bit more than that. The word that he gave to us, yeah, yeah, yeah that, that was good for then, but we need a word today. No, we wouldn't say that. We wouldn't say that, I'm sure Pastor Myers next week talking about the priest, we wouldn't say, well, you know what? Christ's sacrifice was good, but we need a little bit more of a sacrifice than just Christ. In the same word, we shouldn't say, yeah, Christ is good as the word, but we need a new word. We need a new revelation. No, Christ is the fullness. He is the completion. He is the complete word. As the hymn says, what more can he say than to you he hath said? He has said it all in Christ, in Jesus. And so I tell you, church, it's in Jesus as the word that we need to hear again and again. It's the message of Christ spoken in and through the scriptures, which is the word of Christ that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword that you need to hear again and again and again. Why? Because the Spirit uses that word and has promised to do so. That the Spirit of God uses the word 
to, to poke and to prod and to pierce and to break down. And the same time, it's the same word that builds up and repairs and restores and makes complete. Like he says, it's living and active. It's the spirit of God that is at work. That word that is spoken forth takes men and women that were spiritually dead and makes them alive. It takes those that were once enslaved by sin and frees them in the power of the gospel. It shapes those that were once serving self and this world to serving Christ. It takes those that were once useless vessels and makes them useful vessels for the power of God. So the same Christ who spoke all of it into existence is still speaking through his word. And that word is the word of power that goes forth into hearts, into minds, and into lives and makes alive and renews and restores and gives life and blessing and peace and joy and all the fruits of the spirits. And so let me ask you this day, do you hear his voice? He is not silent. Do you hear the word spoken to you this day? The word which is Christ Jesus. That's why, as we conclude, in the light of such a word, it's right for us to be silent, to not speak, but to think and to receive, to be all ears. We often say to our kids, no doubt you've said this as well, God gave you two ears and one mouth so that you'd listen twice as much as you speak. It's good advice. Oftentimes when we go into the throne room of God, that we would listen twice as much as we would speak. That God's word through his scripture would be upon our hearts and be upon our minds, that we would listen from our Father. Because I tell you what, our words matter not but his words as the word is what matters most. And it's right for us, like the disciples, to have a holy fear and reverence. It's like that hymn, that ancient hymn, tells us that all mortal flesh keeps silence and with fear and trembling stand Ponder nothing earthly-minded, for with blessings in his hand, Christ our God to earth descendeth, our full homage to demand. Indeed, that is the way that we must come, to remain silent, to come with fear and trembling to the one who is not only spoke but is speaking the one that has brought all blessings to earth, the one in which our full homage demands. Christ is that prophet that we need to hear from, that we would learn from him now and always because he is the everlasting and eternal word. Let me ask you, what is it that you want for Christmas?
I tell you, nothing will be greater than eternal wisdom that is from on high, the ultimate prophets, the Word made flesh, who made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen and we have heard his glory. Indeed, beloved, our Christmas is complete because we have a complete Christ, full of grace and truth. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, what a word, what a revelation. Lord, that you are not silent, that you are not only the God that is, but you are the God that has spoken and has spoken fully in your Son. You've given the perfect revelation to us in Christ Jesus. Not only the need for salvation, but that that salvation is now made complete through him. And now that that proclamation goes forth, that good news is able to be proclaimed. That word goes forth this day to the ends of the earth. Lord, would those glad tidings of great praise go forth unto the very ends of all the earth so that all may see and all may hear and all may know of the salvation that is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.